Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 128. Zoe takes a husband. Or two. Or three. When the greatest emperor for over 300 years dies, it's only to be expected that the next one won't be as good. The only truly great emperor who was lucky enough to be followed by another one was Trajan. Good and great emperors are much more often followed by average or bad ones. Claudius, Marcus Aurelius, Septimius Severus, Theodosius, Justinian, Heraclius, the list goes on and on. Basil the Bulgar Slayer was no different. Constantine VIII loved hunting, feasting and games. He had theoretically been co-emperor of the empire for 62 years already, but had never even come close to wielding any power, and a good thing it was that he didn't. When he came to the throne, he began the decline of a great empire by doing absolutely nothing of any value and spoiling what was already in place. Constantine believed everything he was told. If a rumour came to him about some kind of treason or conspiracy, he believed it. If a rumour came to him about any sort of crime at all, he believed it. If a rumour came to him about anything, he believed it. Worse than that, he couldn't be bothered with trials, so he had people blinded or executed without finding them guilty of anything. Hundreds, maybe thousands of innocent men were killed or mutilated. Some bad emperors realised they were no good at governing and appointed good men to govern for them. Constantine did the opposite. All of the ministers he appointed were as worthless as him and the good government of his brother began to fall apart. The rich families, who were given the nickname The Powerful, took advantage and there were many small rebellions. Constantine eventually just gave in to their demands and the land laws that helped the common people were ignored. The tide had been reversed. Now the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. Constantine VIII reigned for three years, which was approximately three years too many. Eventually he fell ill and on his deathbed realised he needed an heir. As we know, there were only two members of the Macedonian dynasty left. Zoe was approaching 50, although she was still said to be beautiful. Theodora had become a nun and was in a convent. Constantine realised he needed to marry off one of his daughters and marry her off quickly. Being the unpleasant man he was, Constantine used his standard tactics. He decided the right man for the job was one of the powerful, a man from the Argyrus family named Romanus. Unfortunately, Romanus was already happily married. Constantine had Romanus and his wife arrested and brought to him. He gave them a simple choice. Either they got divorced immediately and Romanus married Zoe, or he'd have his eyes put out. They gave in, and Romanus married Zoe and became Caesar. On the 11th of November, the Basileus died, aged 68, and Romanus Argyrus was emperor. So, Zoe had a wedding at last. After the disappointment of the death of Otto, she had longed to get married, and eventually, and finally, it had happened. Romanus Argyrus was a rich man from a great family, and was even the great-grandson of Romanus Lecapanus. Okay, so what happened in marriage one? Well, it didn't go well. Romanus was enthusiastic about being emperor, and threw himself into it with great energy. Unfortunately, he was overconfident, and nothing that he did went very well. First, he decided he was the new Marcus Aurelius and joined in philosophical debates. Unfortunately, he had no training in philosophy, so the debates usually went nowhere and reached no sensible conclusion. Next, he decided he was the new Constantine and would found a great dynasty of his own. Unfortunately, his wife was already nearly 50 and was too old to have children. Then he decided he was the new Justinian and started to build great churches. Unfortunately, he spent vast quantities of cash on his buildings and, unlike Justinian, didn't have a Belisarius in to bring the treasure to pay for it. Not a single brick of any of his churches remains in Istanbul today. 
None of these things, though, actually directly damaged the Empire. When Romanus Argyrus decided he was the new Aurelian, though, there was bound to be trouble. The Emir of Aleppo was making some waves, so Romanus decided it was time to teach him a lesson. The Emir, though, found out an Imperial army was on the march, and sent envoys to offer peace, and even payments for any damage done. A great general like Aurelian would have been sensible, and got what he could from the Emir, without spilling any of the Empire's blood. Romanus Argyrus, on the other hand, refused any offers and marched on Aleppo. As they approached the city, Romanus was feeling pleased with himself. He was going to win a big victory. It's said that he'd already ordered a magnificent crown for his triumphant parade. Sadly for the Empire, it was not to be. As the army approached a valley, they heard the Saracens approaching, shouting their battle cries. The ambush was terrifying, but the Imperial army was well trained and could beat the Arabs back if they stood their ground. Aurelian would have stood his ground. Probus would have stood his ground. Julian would have stood his ground. Any of the soldier emperors would have stood their ground. Romanus Argyrus panicked and fled, having to be helped onto his horse by one of his men. This was a disgrace. Soon afterwards, a few hundred Saracens made their way to the small imperial city of Teluk to gloat. The governor, a man called George Maniarches, bought them vast quantities of wine and food to help them celebrate. The Saracens laughed and polished off the lot. They'd fallen for a trick, though. When they were good and drunk and had fallen asleep, Maniarches had them all killed and had their ears and noses cut off. He put the ears and noses into a sack and marched off to find the emperor, who was in Cappadocia. When he met Romanus, he emptied the whole bloodstained lot at his feet and told him what had happened. Romanus was delighted and immediately appointed Maniarches governor of all the cities in the upper Euphrates Valley. From his base, Maniarches kept the Saracens at bay and the empire safe. Romanus wisely decided to give up military matters and concentrate on the law. He was no more successful here, and the powerful just became more powerful. And what of Zoe? Well, she'd had enough of him too. Although Romanus was happy to spend the contents of the treasury on churches, he wasn't very generous when it came to presents for the wife. Pretty soon she couldn't stand him, and he couldn't stand her. She had recently met a strange man called John the Orphan, who had four brothers. He introduced Zoe to the youngest of these brothers, a man called Michael the Paphlagonian. Zoe fell in love immediately and plotted to get rid of her husband. Romanus often enjoyed a swim. On the 12th of April 1034, he was having his daily dip, happily floating on the water, when he called his men to help him dress. Nobody is quite sure what happened, but Romanus III was completely alive when he went in for his swim and was very dead when he came out. It's probable he was murdered, but nothing was ever proved. He was 66 years old and had been emperor for about five years. On the following day, Zoe and Michael were married and Michael the Paphlagonian became Michael IV. OK, so what happened in marriage too? Michael was young, handsome and generous, but he also suffered from a form of epilepsy and would often have fits. He was 24 and his new wife was 56, so this was another of those strange but useful marriages. It was quite clear, though, that Michael wasn't too fond of his new wife and had only married her so he could be emperor. He had her confined to her own part of the palace and handed over government of the empire to his brother John. Before long, though, Michael began to take control and proved himself to be surprisingly good at governing. He appointed good men to do important jobs and slowly corruption became less common and the empire relaxed a bit. He managed to rebuild the army and improve the morale of the troops, which had been badly affected by the reigns of Constantine VIII and Romanus Argyrus. He was fair in judgments and sensible with money. 
He never raised his voice and did not punish or execute anyone without giving them a fair trial. He was gentle and compassionate, and the Empire hoped for a long and successful reign. But there was a problem. Michael's health was fading fast. His epileptic fits were happening more and more often, and he started to suffer from dropsy. This is a horrible disease. Sufferers begin to swell up because they have too much liquid in their bodies which they can't get rid of. It's very unpleasant, and by 1038, Michael was in great pain. Michael and John, though, decided it was time to take back Sicily for the Empire. Most of the island had been lost many years before, and now the whole island was under Arab control. Michael ordered George Maniarches to drive the Arabs out of the island. In 1038, Maniarches landed in southern Italy, and soon had captured Messina. He and some Lombard allies then began defeating the scattered Arab forces and taking towns in the west and south of the island, and almost succeeded in taking the whole island. By 1040, though, Maniarches had unfortunately fallen out with his Lombard friends, and then his Norman mercenaries, unhappy with their pay, abandoned him and travelled to the mainland where they took the city of Bari. Maniarches was accused of treason and imprisoned in Constantinople. His command was given to the emperor's brother-in-law, Stephen, who was completely hopeless and soon all of the conquests had been lost. Not long later, Stephen was dead. By the time the news arrived in Constantinople, it was clear the emperor was dying. He was now very bloated and swollen, and every movement caused him pain. He thought it was his punishment for what he had done to Romanus and Zoe, and he sent money to every priest in the empire asking them to pray for him. And he turned his thoughts to the succession. His scheming brother John also turned his thoughts to the succession. He wanted to found a Paphlagonian dynasty, so he persuaded his brother to name Stephen's son Michael as his successor. The emperor readily agreed, and Zoe was brought out of her palace prison and forced to adopt Michael. Michael was named Caesar. Michael was not a particularly nice young man. He had acquired the nickname Michael Caliphates because his father had originally been a caulker, a man who made sure ships were watertight. The new Caesar was a compulsive liar and a schemer. He pretended to be friendly to people, but he would happily stab them in the back. In 1040, there was a revolt in the north of the empire. The Serbs and Bulgars had become fed up with the heavy taxes. A grandson of Samuel, called Peter Delian, declared himself Emperor of Bulgaria and seized Belgrade and Skopje. They then stormed Durazzo, marched into Greece and laid siege to Thebes. Michael IV made an amazing decision. He was going to lead the fight back himself. He was half paralysed with dropsy and had difficulty getting on his horse. His brother John tried to persuade him not to go, but he was determined and he set off with an army of 40,000. He was assisted by Norse mercenaries, including the future King Harald III of Norway. The campaign was well planned and well executed, and the Emperor showed great courage. On the night before the decisive battle, Michael nearly died, and the doctors begged him not to go on and fight. In the morning, though, he painfully mounted his horse and led his men into the battle. He still managed to ride his horse with skill, and the sight of his courage inspired the army. The enemy started squabbling amongst themselves, and the Imperial Army won a great victory. Michael had Peter Delian blinded and his nose cut off. He then returned to the capital in triumph and was never seen in public again. Michael IV died on the 10th of December 1041, having reigned for a little less than eight years. He was still only 31 years old. He had come to the throne without glory, but had ruled well and could maybe have been a great emperor. So marriage too hadn't gone too well for Zoe either. Michael Caliphates now became Michael V. 
At first, he pretended to be nice to Zoe. She had adopted him, and it was only because of her that he was emperor. Pretty soon, though, he showed what he was really like, and had her banished. He also had his uncle, John the Orphan, sent to a monastery. Michael was determined to rule by himself. Unfortunately, ruling for Michael meant abusing, punishing and threatening the powerful until they trembled for their lives. He would ride through the streets of Constantinople dressed in purple. The people would hang purple cloth from their windows and put carpets out for him. They were only too happy he was being nasty to the aristocracy. He went too far, though, when he banished Zoe. He went much too far when he tried to have her arrested for plotting to have him killed. Soon, everyone was calling for the rightful empress to be returned to the palace. The mob burned down the house of Michael's uncle Constantine. He ran to find Michael and found him cowering in the corner of the palace. They realised their only hope was to find Zoe and proclaim her restored. Zoe was terrified of Michael Caliphates and agreed, but the mob was not having it. They wanted rid of Michael and they wanted Zoe on the throne. They realised though that Zoe was not to be trusted to rule on her own, so they brought her sister, Theodora, out of her convent. The grumbling, complaining old woman was declared joint ruler of the empire. Theodora was furious. Theodora, though, was made of stronger stuff than her sister. After a last stand by Michael and Constantine led to a bloodbath in Constantinople, the emperor and his uncle were finally deposed and captured. Theodora ordered that they both be blinded. Michael V was packed off blind to a monastery where he died a few months later. He had been emperor for a fairly traumatic four months. So now the empire was in the hands of two old women who couldn't stand each other. Zoe the dreamer, who only wanted to be married and have nice things, and Theodora the nun, who wanted only to be left in peace and live in a convent. They even looked very different. Zoe was plump and had lovely white skin and golden hair. Theodora was taller and more intelligent looking. The sisters didn't make too bad a job of ruling, but their rule was unstable. People still wanted a strong emperor, and these two old ladies really didn't fit the bill. One of the sisters would have to marry. But there was a big problem with that, or there were two big problems. Zoe had already been married twice, and third marriages weren't allowed. Theodora flatly refused to get married. In this case, the patriarch realised the future of the empire was in doubt, and he reluctantly allowed Zoe to marry again. The chosen man was called Constantine Monomachus. He was related by marriage to Romanus Argyrus and was strong, healthy and popular. On the 11th of June, 1042, he and Zoe were married, among the cheers and celebrations of the people. Constantine Monomachus became Constantine IX. OK, so what happened in marriage 3? Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to wait till next time to find out. If you enjoy the podcast, then please go to www.mythandhistory.podbean.com, the website for the podcast. You can friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History, or contact me on email, mythandhistory at gmail.com. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.